Welcome back to the Good Earth Podcast. This is Abby with Christians on Campus, and we're excited to be back with episode 70, the second in this semester's series, Life in the Gospel of John. Last week, we were introduced to the truth of the divine life, a principle that is present throughout the Gospel of John. This week, we're exploring the story told in John 2. It's very likely that you have heard of the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turned water into wine. Have you ever considered what the significance of this account is, and why it is told to us in the way that it is? Like many of the accounts in John, this sign is related to life. Stay tuned as John Michael shows us the principle of death being turned into life. Our topic for this semester is life in the Gospel of John. This is the, the running theme of what we'll be going over. And so this word, four-letter word, life, is really important. And it's actually, there's a lot of meaning behind this word. And does anyone know what language the New Testament was originally written in? Greek. Okay, so in Greek, there are three distinct words, different words, that all translate into the word life in English. And so you may see the word life in the Bible, but if you don't look at the Greek, you actually don't know what that word means exactly. So there are three different meanings of the word life. There's, you could say, physical life, which in Greek is bios. Or there is psychological life, or our soul life, which in Greek is suke. But the life that's right here that we're talking about in the Gospel of John is called in the Greek Zoe. And Zoe is the divine, eternal, uncreated life of God. And there are examples of this word that I want to bring out. One in John 1.4. In him was life. So in Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. And then also in John 10.10, 10, it says, The devil came to seek, kill, and destroy. I, Jesus speaking, I came that they may have life. And that life there is Zoe life. So he's not saying, I came that they may have human life, soul life. I came that they may have my life. God's life. Okay, so this is a foundational truth that we need to know as we're talking about life in the Gospel of John. So we may be reviewing this weekly to kind of just continue to set that foundation as we go through the Gospel of John. Okay, you'll have to forgive me because I have a lot of notes. You could say I have an outline written and I want to make sure to get certain utterances correct. So I may be looking at my iPad more than usual. So, um, but we're going over the Gospel of John. Does anyone know when the Gospel of John was written in relation to the other Gospels? Like with the first, second, third, fourth. The order that they're listed in the Bible is not necessarily chronological. 
So does anyone want to take a stab, students, of which gospel was John? In which order? Blake? It's not the first. <laughs> it was the fourth. It's actually the last one. So Matthew was the first, and then Luke and then Mark were written around A.D. 60 or 70, around then. And then John was actually written around A.D. 90. So about 20 years. Actually, John wrote all the books in the Bible that he wrote. So the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the Epistles, and Revelation. He wrote, these were all the last books of the Bible to be written. And there's a reason I'm saying this. I'm not just giving trivia out here. So, um, Paul wrote a lot of the Bible. And when he, you could say, his writings really completed the Word of God. But after Paul passed away, there began to come into the church heresies. Some of these heresies were that Christ is not God or Christ is not the Son of God. And even these heresies still exist today, even among some who call themselves Christian. John wrote the Gospel of John with this in view. And so right away, even in, the, in chapter 1, we can see he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in 14, he says, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. So the Word, who is God, hello Michaela, became a man in Jesus. And so right away, we can see that John is tackling this heresy. Okay. There are more major differences between John and the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels are written in a synoptic, chronological way. So this happened, and then this happened, and telling kind of a story throughout. Everything is in order. John is not written in this way. John specifically records accounts miracles of Jesus. And he doesn't record as many as Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he records certain ones that the other Gospels don't record. And his purpose in recording these is very significant. Okay. Can we all turn to John chapter 2, verse 11? And we are going to get into some actual verses today. We're going we're gonna to see a uh, we're going to go over the wedding of Cana. But this, this verse specifically is af, right after the wedding of Cana. It's the last verse you could say in this little record. But chapter 2, verse 11, it states, This beginning of signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed into him. And so it says, 
this beginning of signs. So John, the Gospel of John, is a book of signs. Now this is not to say that these miracles that were recorded did not happen. They happened. But they have a significance. So the miracles recorded in the book of John have a significance. And this first miracle that we're going to go over today in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, is the first one recorded. So there's even more significance in this one because it's the first one recorded. So, this is one of the utterances I wanted to get. Okay, so I'm going to read it verbatim. If we do not see that there is significance behind the miracles that are recorded in the book of John, or if we have a heart of unbelief, you could say it that way, then at most, we will only be able to enjoy the stories themselves. And the Lord will not be able to reveal more to us. You could say more of the spiritual significance that he would like us to see. We should not be like the disciples when the Lord unveiled to them that he was going to die and resurrect on the third day. It went over their head. So we should be poor in spirit and come to the word in prayer that we could see revelation. So before we start reading, we're going to read. I just want to pray. So we could all bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we turn our hearts to you. Lord, we ask that you would grant us wisdom and revelation in our spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, we believe in your word. We believe that your spirit is breathed into your word. Lord, show us what you would like to show us in your word today. Lord, enlighten the eyes of our heart. Lord Jesus, we would just like to see you today. Amen. While I was preparing for this today, I was kind of struck because, you know, the person who did this miracle, and I'm talking about it, and I'm going to be talking about a lot of stuff, but this person who did this is in me. And so it's weird because I'm talking about him and all the things that are significant in this, but I can't forget, we can't forget that he's in us. The person. So as we're reading this, the person who did this is in you. So ask him about it. Okay. So we're going to start with verse 1. Chapter 2. And the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also, sorry, and Jesus also was invited, as well as his disciples, to the wedding. So I'll stop there for now. First thing I want us to see is this occurred on the third day. It says, in the third day, a wedding took place. This is significant. Actually, in chapter 1, there are four days mentioned. So, something occurs, and then it's recorded, the phrase, and the next day, and then it's more, and it says, and the next day, again, and it says, again, and the next day. And so, we come to chapter 2, and this should actually be the fifth day, 
if we're keeping count. But John doesn't say that it's the fifth day. So I don't know if he's going back in time or if he's just being specific here. But the third day does have significance. What happened on the third day that we can think of? Jesus resurrected. So what is, yes? In Genesis, the dry land appeared. So the dry land came out of the death waters. That's also, that's really good, because you'll see a little connection there later probably. Okay, so resurrection, Jesus was a human, he lived. Jesus died, he was put to death. For three days, you'd say he was dead. And then he lived again. This is resurrection. And so this record from verses 1 to 11 is in the realm of resurrection. So we should have this, as we're reading this, we should have Jesus' resurrection in the back of our mind. Okay, continue. And the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. So we, it's a wedding. It's significant that the Lord chose to perform his first miracle openly to the public at a wedding. A wedding is a time of joy and rejoicing. So a wedding signifies the enjoyment of human life. Yeah, we'll continue. And the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited, as well as his disciples, to the wedding. And then what happens? And the wine ran out. The mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Okay, so the wedding signifies the enjoyment of human life. And the wine, wine is a product of the vine. It's the product of something living. So wine, and we'll see this more several verses later, wine in this here signifies, and in the Bible, signifies life. Now, when I say that, you may think, okay, what life does it refer to human life or God's life? Does it refer to Zoe? Well, we'll see actually here, the wine that runs out refers to the human life. Because our human life runs out. Each of us, unless the Lord comes back before we die, each of us will eventually die. And I'm sure that each of us, at least to some extent, has experienced um, death, maybe in a family member, someone we love. And so you've had a little experience of the human life running out. And so the wine running out at this wedding in Cana signifies that our human life with all 
of its enjoyments and pleasures all eventually run out. Eventually, they will cease. You can say that they are finite. What are some examples of this? Okay, we're, most, of, most of you are students taking classes. You get a good grade. There's a little bit of enjoyment there. But does it last very long? Mm. This is true for all things in life. And I know you're, we're young. I'm a little older. I'm still young. There are things that I look forward to. So, for example, where I'm at in my stage of life, I just got married. Well, a year and a half ago, I got married. So you may think, okay, when I get married, oh, that'll be enjoyment. I can't wait. I can't wait to get married. I want to get married. But then you get married, and you realize, okay, that, that enjoyment, it doesn't last. And then you may, okay, we haven't had kids yet, but Jake and Caitlin just had a baby. So we look, we look forward to having kids. We think that's going to be enjoyment, but the enjoyment is not going to it's fleeting. When our enjoyment runs out, when we've exhausted all of our source or our sources of satisfaction, then God is able to do something. So what does God do here? And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have in this that concerns you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do. Now, there were six stone water pots lying there, according to the Jews' rite of purification, holding two or three measures each. So I'll stop there. Six stone water pots. What happened on the sixth day? What did God create? Us. Yeah, yeah. He created man on the sixth day. And then the Bible tells us, he rests on the seventh. The Bible tells us in many books that man is a vessel created as a container. God is the potter. Man is the vessel. So six stone water pots. This signifies man as a vessel. Now there were six stone water pots lying there according to the Jews' rite of purification, holding two or three measures each. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Okay, here's another important one. We talked about what life, sorry, what wine represents. Life. When the wine that ran out signifies the human life. What does water represent? In the Bible, actually water can represent two things. It can represent life. And we see that in John 7, 38. Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So there are also other examples in Revelation. John, of water signifying life. But water can also signify death. 
we see it in Genesis 1-2. And darkness was on the surface of the deep. The Lord God judged the world with water in Noah's time. Water in baptism represents we're being put into the death of Christ. And so God or Jesus says, fill up these water pots with water. This water does not signify life. This water here signifies death. So that these stone water pots, what do the water pots represent? Man as a vessel. It signifies that man as a vessel, void of the life of God, is full of death. Void of Christ's life, we are just dead. It says in Romans, we were dead in our offenses. We're full of dead water. But, what does Jesus do? And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it to him. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man sets out the good wine first, and when they have drunk freely, then that which is worse. You have kept the good wine until now. And so Jesus changed the death water into living wine. And the master of the feast says to the bridegroom, what normally happens is at weddings, they'll serve the good wine first. And once everyone gets a little inebriated and their senses go a little dull, then they'll serve the bad wine. But you have saved the best wine until last. Because this is not the human life. This is the divine life. God's life is the best. And God desires to be our true enjoyment and satisfaction. And His life is eternal. It doesn't run out. So, in this record, and John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, we can see a principle. And this is what I want us to take away from today. You can call it life's principle. And this is referring to Zoe, or God's life. So life, life's principle 
to change death into life. So remember, this is the first sign that Jesus performed. And throughout the semester, we're going to go over many different miracles that Jesus performed that are recorded in the book of John. And in all of these miracles, we are going to see that this is an underlying theme that's going to take place in each miracle. Isn't it amazing that life's principle is the turning of death into life? This Gospel of John is a gospel of signs, miracles that have a deeper spiritual significance. In order to see these signs for what they are, we need to pray to receive revelation. When we receive revelation, then we can see that the wine that ran out at the wedding in Cana wasn't just wine. It was the enjoyment of our present life. When the joys of our lives inevitably run out, this is when God is able to work in us. Much like the six stone water pots, we are created as vessels. God's working in us is by turning our dead waters into living wine. This principle of life will be seen throughout the Gospel of John. Join us next week for the continuation of this series right here on the Good Earth Podcast.